I'm your host, Cam. Here I am with another indie filmmaker being interviewed on the spot. His credits include Brian Burrow, The Red Death, Passages of Nexus, Axe to Grind, and he just has endless other movies coming up, <laughs> including The House That Eats Flesh. So welcome to the show, Mark D. Valente. How are you, sir? <laughs> Hey, thanks, Cam, very much for having me on the show. And thank you again for using my middle initial to differentiate me from other Mark Valentis out there. So thanks for having me on. <laughs> <laughs> and I just would always see a bunch of your various posts and just seeing all just the various passions, just carefree, oblivious to any kind of just snobs on the Internet, just clearly <laughs> enjoying what you're doing. So just how did you get into this uh, horror filmography and independent slasher films. Yeah, thanks, Cam, for asking that. Yeah, my background, uh, for those of you who aren't familiar, is uh, behavioral health. You know, I live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and healthcare is actually one of our biggest industries here. And I've started it in uh, a place called Western Psychiatric Institute and Clinic back in 1994. And it was a program where we observed family members eating dinner together, and we would basically assess the way that they communicated. And it really started me down on the pathway of trying to understand human behavior and communication. And I've been in healthcare since then. And when COVID hit and everything happened, it has changed a lot of people's lives. And my role went virtual, which was great, but it really took me out of that really communication with other people. So I have a passion for horror films and films in general. And I was, saw an ad on Kickstarter about somebody who was saying, hey, if you pay $300, you can help produce our independent film and you can have a background role. And I was like, what the heck? I'll give it a try. And that's where it all started. Uh, a thousand percent. And yes. like, like you say, uh, I mean, with... Uh, brain burrow you are you know again assessing psychology and just mixing that into kind of true life horror as well as fictional horror and uh, it seems like this is like the only way we can talk about just certain topics that otherwise people are like oh it's depressing i don't want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah i think that's a, that's a great point and uh we have geez 68 episodes of brain burrow at the moment and it's meant to really dig deep with the guests that come on. And the guests have ranged from perhaps people that are more established in the industry for a while, like Daniel Harris or Felissa Rose, and then others who are just getting their start, uh, writers, directors, uh, actors, it, just different people that, that are out there. And yeah, it, you know, if you've seen the show, if people have seen the show, we, I ask a lot of questions that go beyond uh, as Daniel Harris says, what was it like to film with Rob Zombie is what she called out. I really understand her. And the topic of her interview is uh, what if you only, you know, basically what if you found out your death day when you were going to die, what would you do differently? So she really talked a lot about her behavior and the things that she valued and the things that she feared. So to your point, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's guest centered and focused. So some people may talk about you know, maybe anxiety they have in singing. One of my guests was talking about that. She's a, she's an actor, but she has anxiety about singing. Whereas another guest talked about depression that they've experienced or even abuse. So it's really up to the guest on how, what comfortable uh, what what they feel comfortable talking about. But to your point, uh, it's it's uh, it's a way to kind of talk about some of these issues that plague everybody on a certain level. Uh, a thousand percent. And why do you think it is that we just just as humans, just are, is it that we're too insecure or that we just think we can just tread it until literally just mentally it eats us up? 
we just don't want to face the music. Yeah, that's a great question, Cam. I think, you know, as always with everything, it depends on the individual. Uh, you're calling it out about insecurities. As human beings, we are fallible and we are fragile and uh, we are influenced by not only our genetics, but of course, the way we were brought up. So if as a child, I am constantly being told, and this is really simplifying it, that I'm never good enough, you know, that all A's and a B on the report card are still not good enough to get that uh, acceptance from, let's say, my mother. Uh, then growing up, I feel like I may constantly be looking at, okay, am I ever good enough? Am I ever going to, uh, you know, get the uh, approval of somebody that I'm with or my family member or my colleague or, or lover or friend or whatever? And as a result of that, a uh, fear of failure, basically, a fear of being rejected, then I may not try certain things. I may say, well, you know, someday I want to go try acting, but then I build myself to a point where I'm so anxious to try something new because I'm afraid of being uh, rejected or afraid of failing it. So I think there's always the strict overseer who is just looking at us and just saying, right. do good or else. That's <laughs> right. That's or right. You're what? exactly, yeah, exactly right. So it definitely, it's just, it's just fascinating. It's how much, we're influenced just by everything. And you know what? You could be the most confident person, but if I didn't get a chance to eat breakfast or lunch today, then I'm feeling like my blood sugar is low, and then that may impact my ability to navigate conversation as well. Uh, a thousand percent. And uh, But really, what, what, what was also your intersection when you were uh, – when, when did you find time in between your main you know, healthcare job and – uh, like what, what indie filmmakers came up to you and said, you know, hey, you know, you you totally be perfect for some of the movies we're doing. Yeah, that's so. It's interesting when I got that first uh, opportunity, and again, I had no experience at all in film at all. I guess the closest thing I had to it was, you know, in my healthcare job, and I was call her out on this in a positive way. One of my longtime colleagues, her name is Brittany Wilson. She's a nurse. She and I would do a series of. Uh, interviews where we, she would be the nurse or the doctor and I'd be the patient or vice versa. And we were, we were acting, we were acting basically. And, and yeah. some of that stuff is out there actually that we, we have um, a company that actually picked up a lot of that and, and is putting it out there as our educational material. But my point is I would not even done anything remotely like acting until 2020. And that oftentimes people are kind of uh, sometimes down on the independent films using Indiegogo or Kickstarter. But if it wasn't for that, I'm not sure I would have got an opportunity. And as a result, um, I've got connected to other directors uh, who say, Hey, you know what? You're actually a good person for this role or Hey, audition. And um, I typically, <laughs> I feel like I'm typecast as either, and, and believe it or not, I was a psychiatrist in one of in one of the roles, or, or sort of a therapist. You're the type only of one role. can do it believable. Uh, well, there you go. <laughs> so it was just that therapy type of role, or a complete douchebag. Uh, because I feel like in this one, a couple times I had an opportunity to kind of let my inner, let's say, douchebag out and really say the things that uh, exactly opposite of what I would say. But it's it's been kind of fun. And uh, I, like I said, I've, there's certain groups of people, certain directors that I really like working with. And um, I'm fortunate enough to have that full-time job. So it, it, you know, even if somebody's not paying or can't pay for travel or can't do whatever, it's, uh, it's okay because I get to do this and I, and I really enjoy it. Stellar. Yeah. What were your inspirations and just your general fandom growing up? Uh, yeah, I th you know, I've always been a fan of horror films. Uh, you know, it's, uh, there's some escapism. I know a lot of people that are horror fans say that, you know, if you're 
worried about is the um, person going to be contaminated with the thing in Antarctica, then all of a sudden you're not so worried about, you know, grades <laughs> in school. Or you're not so worried about getting in trouble for something, some big lie you told, for instance. It's, it's just an escape. And I think that's just a nice distraction. It's, it's funny, as you know, there's so people are down on especially slashers, certain groups of people and how it promotes violence. But in reality, there's so many times when people use horror films, violent films, different films as an escapism uh, to deal with stress. Yeah, we definitely, like you say, have had an increase in just showing a character uh, facing anxiety or just like you say, just interior conflict that is just about to come out of some kind of rage. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. It's a nice distraction, along with things like first person shooters and and things like that as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, I get so tired of the whole uh, like video games cause people to murder. Is like no, I think regardless of whether you're a toxic person or not, I think it's crime rates are going down. <laughs> Just all the people who have bad ideas are playing them out on a game. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Exactly. You're, you're entirely right about that. Uh, yeah. So I think you know I'm also a big fan of the 1970s you know dramas as well. One Floor Over the Cuckoo's Nest is one is my favorite movie of all time. Oh, uh, yeah. But you, yeah, enjoyed Taxi Driver. I enjoy uh, Dog Day Afternoon. All those nineteen seventies dramas, and it's it's more about the dialogue. I believe it's just interesting to see the dialogue that's captured by these amazing actors and, and, and directors. So it's really um, you know, that's another kind of subgenre of film that's not related to horror that I'm a big fan of. Yeah, they, they kind of go hand in hand. Just <laughs> taking hostage. Uh thrillers that have some terror and elements in them, but yeah, like you say, I mean. Uh, just character studies is just what it's really ultimately all about, regardless of the time, budget, or distributor. Um, yeah. Who were your actors that you especially just would check out everything they were in, just constantly go to the video store? So. Yeah, I think that's, uh, you know, it's, you know, I know this is, pro- he's probably on a lot of people's lists, especially, you know, I'm 48 years old, especially people that kind of grew up in the 80s. Uh, is Jack Nicholson. You know, I know I'd love to say I was, you know, loving a, some independent actor, uh, but, you know, Jack Nicholson was somebody just, it was drawn to, obviously, Wonderful of the Cuckoo's Nest, you know, uh, Chinatown, uh, The Shining, of course, you know, and some of his lesser known uh, movies like the remake of The Postman Always Rings Twice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just uh, just all this, you know, I was really just a fan of his work uh, growing up. Um, I'm also a fan and, and uh, not that I'm embarrassed to say of of Debbie Rashawn, uh, Debbie Rashawn and her film specifically. So it was a, it was a huge <laughs> honor when she actually appeared on my show and I had a chance to, to, to talk with her. And I just Sweet. really feel like she's just a remarkable actor who's persevered in, in times of her own stresses and things that have happened to her in her life and had to deal with. And if you listen to the interview, shameless plug on, on Brainboro with her, she talks about the challenges she had in, in working in the 1990s and some of the misogyny that went on and, and everything. So I've always just been a, a really huge fan of her of her work specifically. Very well said, because I think everyone just had to wake up a little bit and say, hey, you know what you think you were saying, you know, you didn't think it was offensive, it really was offensive. <laughs> right, right, exactly. But yeah, it was. Uh, I was happy to, I was happy again to to have her on the show and hope to work with her directly someday. Oh, plenty of time. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> uh, so what's been your favorite angle? Or is it just in terms of just like doing set design versus writing, directing, or just acting? 
or do you like how you get to choose and it's never the same thing? Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, I've not had the opportunity to direct uh, yet, but I've been able to, what I like, what I, what I really enjoy doing is, um, although I can talk about some of the challenges I have with acting, and it's not just because, you know, I didn't go to acting school. There's some challenges I have that <laughs> where, where, where my negative, um, where, where my background, I think, hinders me a little bit. I can talk about that. But I really enjoy working with directors who allow me, again, because the director is the person in charge, and I, and I, I really, really always want to respect and honor that the director is the person in charge and whatever they say goes. Um, directors who have said, who've, who've allowed me to ad lib a bit in scenes. Right. I just kind of, and I think it's been kind of, or, or um, you know, who are said, hey, what do you think this character may say in, in this in this specific scene? So it's been really kind of fun. Uh, you know, I was working in Pittsburgh, where I live here on uh, Carousel 2 by uh, Steve Radzinski. And uh, for my scene, I got a chance to create my line there in the way that I wanted to do it. You know, the one, the lines that I had where I was um, a neo-Nazi and got to use sort of a Southern accent. And yeah, it was, it was, it was fun. It was, I mean, it was, it was, the character was purposefully, uh, you know, um, not that bright, you know, I don't know if you've seen Steve's Carousel movie or his Carousel 2 movie. They're totally um, over the top, um, but very much fan service. A lot of callbacks to other horror movies. Uh, really, really love love the writing. And I was just was honored to appear in Carousel 2 briefly. But he allowed me to do my scene the way I wanted to. And I was like, holy cow, this is fantastic. So uh, I think just being able to have that creative license to, to do that. Again, I'm not saying all films should do that it was just um but when the opportunity comes up i it's a it's a great way to be creative and and i really enjoyed doing that a thousand percent uh what was it like working with a friend of the show uh rebecca, rebecca reinhardt on her crowdfunded <laughs> oh my gosh rebecca I, I can't say enough about rebecca you know i met her on my second film set which was uh, backwoods bubba and i got to do a scene with her specifically and she uh, is remarkable. She really gave me um, guidance because I was just starting off at that point. That was the second, like, this very the second set that I had been on. The first set uh, was in Philadelphia with Bianca Crespo for the movie Freak, which just came out last month on Amazon. But I was in the background. This was the time when I had to to speak, and now I kind of cringe and I go back and look at my scene, you know. But it was a. Uh, but she was just very insightful. She talked, she's very passionate about the work that she does. She, 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 I truly, when I look at her, I see somebody who loves what she's doing and uh, I could relate to her too, right? Cause she's didn't grow up, at, you know, being an actor, director, writer, doing all this. She had, you know, a non film industry job. And so I think there was a connection on that level too. Like, what's it like? How do you balance? So um, I honestly, I, I would say she was one of, if I had to put somebody who was an influence on me, um, I was very fortunate to meet her in the beginning of my career doing this. And I can't obviously can't say enough positive about her. Very stellar. Yeah. Definitely seems like we've gotten to the point where, you know, just make your movie, you know, you know help out your friends, just yeah. let it, let it take its course where it, wherever it goes that's right that's right and uh just overall uh how would you describe just how everything was staged and uh just organized just in general in um in yeah. general or on this yeah specific? like quick quick shoots or just heavily rehearsed or uh, you mean in general? Um, what do I prefer? How does that? How, what experiences have I had with? Or that? just uh, how would you describe the productions? Just oh, okay, thank you. Um, I think it, you know, in my 
in my healthcare related job, I, uh, I no longer have direct interactions with patients. I'm actually, my role is to, it's a, it's a director in the healthcare world. And it's really to support various levels of my team where people report up to me. Uh, you know, I coach them and my job as, as an act as a director in that role is to guide them. And I have trained physicians and nurses on how to communicate with patients. So my point of bringing all this up is that I have to be very organized in my work. I have to understand what is it that I'm trying to do in each meeting. I'm trying to understand, you know, who are the people involved? There's a lot of organization that goes into that. So depending on the set, there are some people, um, as you may know, that are very organized and says, here's what time you need to be there. Here's what time the different uh, scenes are being shot et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, there's always room for things to go off track. That's, I think that's the world of indie, indie movies. I say that in any film industry, because I got to work on some big productions here in Pittsburgh and, you know, there was, <laughs> there wasn't always working exactly as planned either, but, but sometimes I would classify uh, some of the sets as uh, complete chaos where wasn't really sure what was going on. And, and that's difficult, I think, in anybody's life to not really understand what's expected of them. What does the schedule look like? I mean, think about in healthcare, right? If you're going to the doctor's office and waiting for 50 minutes for your appointment, it's overdue and nobody says anything, what's going on? You're like, what? You know, it causes irritation and maybe anxiety even. So I think I've seen the full range of very organized um, productions to completely chaotic productions. Oh, dear. <laughs> well, hopefully you're avoiding the chaotic ones. Well, and I think that's a great point. I think, you know, when I work with certain people who are passionate, who are organized, who are communicative, then you trend, you tend to go toward those people. And then I've, and there's been times when I avoided others after the experience, but it's like anything, right? You start off in any industry and you just learn by doing. And what was humbling to me after being in healthcare, well, at that time, 26 years, uh, when I started the film is, is it was like I was starting out entirely new, like totally new. So I had to be very humble for my own sake that I was like, I, I got I have to learn and network. So yeah. Totally. Uh, what are some suggestions you'd give to everyone? Cause sometimes, you know, a handshake and just meeting someone at a network event just isn't enough. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's funny. Uh, if I, if you go back and look at the, the full episode list of brain Burrow, which are again available on all podcast platforms, the titles of each episode relate to whatever the person talks about, uh, the guest talks about. And that's a great one for people to choose. Is this relevant to me? But a theme that comes up a lot is that perseverance, right? I think that's one of the biggest things that I've learned. I mean, it actually stuck with me with David Howard Thornton, who, of course, plays um, Art the Clown in the Terrifier uh, series. Uh, and that was probably my maybe fifth interview. And he talked about, or sixth interview, he talked about just being rejected in auditions over and over and over again. And it really made me think, wow, this person who's established, who has done, spent a lot of time crafting his art, he, uh, he still gets rejected. And it's just, and, and that, I think that was a theme that just surprised me over and over again, that all these people that have been doing this, it seems like you get less parts than you, than you actually, uh, you know, you get a small percentage of parts. So I think just the realization that, um, 
it's there's not an easy fix here in, in the yeah. industry. I think it's it's like you have to just keep moving, and you'll get less parts than you. you know, the, the percentage of rejections is going to be higher than acceptance. Oh, a thousand percent. Right, and right. I see some podcasters get in and do it with each other. I'm like, if there's one thing you don't do, you guys don't badmouth each other. You either block oh, each yeah. other and start working with each other. Saying, kind of deal with filmmakers. It's like, okay, uh, getting in a turf war online, it yeah. just doesn't help anybody. Everybody's, you know, yeah. Uh, and this isn't like we're a famous person where you can have some kind of PR person kind of come in and just say, Hey, let's subside this. So, and so like you say, it, uh, I always tell like everyone, like, just have me sign an NDA form, you know, and if you're going to gain anyone's trust, at least have a shot list and storyboard and, you know, day schedule. But, you know, if you can't do those, one of those free things, you know, we're, we're in trouble. And I, I get just the most petty excuses like, oh, I'm afraid you're going to steal my script, which is their way of saying, I think you'll say it sucks or no, really, I don't want to hear your opinion, which makes one wonder why you would even want a production assistant or, you know, script supervisor <laughs> right. or right. camera assistant. So it's the same kind of deal is like, okay, just, uh, I can't draw. You don't have to draw. You can do stick figures. Just get, let everyone know what you want instead of getting annoyed that, oh, don't you understand me i'm like because whatever you know relying on just words is just not good enough you gotta <laughs> really just you know take everyone through it and that's the other thing too i mean just be patient and don't get i i, I take it you've worked with people who got annoyed when you were asking them what you want in the acting performance and it's like well what do you want <laughs> <laughs> yeah yes i that, thank you for making that yes yes there was times when yeah, I, maybe I'd asked that question. I was and... once at an audition and someone said, that was shit. I was like, oh, okay. Care to elaborate? <laughs> right. Well, right. That's exactly right. I think that's, that's a really great call out, right? I think, there's, I think there's two ends of the spectrum, right? There's maybe, and it's, in, again, in any workplace, in any scenario, there's people that were extremely authoritarian in their approach, right? Here's what you need to do, do this, blah, blah, blah. And to your point, uh, maybe even negative, right? And then there's people that were so lackadaisical without any direction. And I was like, is that good? Was that, I mean, what? And they're like, yeah, that was good. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. This, I would say the best director that I worked with, uh, you know, and again, this doesn't mean that the other ones weren't good. I'm just saying like, um, you know, everybody has their, I don't don't want to say the best director I worked with because I've worked with many great directors. One very effective director, uh, believe it or not, was Stormy Daniels on Axe to Grind, which is the second in the series from the original Axe to Grind. Right. And what I, what I liked about her was she affirmed the things that I did well, but then she also gave me feedback on how to do something slightly different. And that's what anybody wants, right? They want to know, uh, you know, they want to feel good about things they did well, but they also want to give told in a very collaborative way what they can do better. And, and I felt comfortable with my performance there because I knew what, what she was after. So, but yeah, it's like, it's like anything, right? It's, it's being able to guide and guide without shutting somebody down or without um, just being so totally lackadaisical. Yeah. And I mean, again, you're working with all kinds of people who just, uh, whether they're making a serious movie or a lowbrow movie, there's like, they got no shame. They got, uh, they got nothing to be ashamed of. They're just like, hey, look, you're here to have fun. Let's have fun. <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. And, and just like when you're on eBay and you set your price of how 
how big a bid you're going to make. It's kind of what you're doing with this. It's like, okay, we're going to get to 10,000. We're going to make it for this amount of money. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. That's a great analogy. And unfortunately, everyone, I I see so many people just bickering with each other. Just Mm -hmm. uh, Amazon used to even just be more detailed uh, with just like uh, review requirements. But unfortunately, now it just seems like, you know, Everyone can go in there and say, oh, this is woke garbage. Uh, it's too PC. And it's like, okay, so I think you've got to make it harder for all these Nazis to comment. But I also get that it's not easy to channel out any kind of hatred. So right. what do you do to channel out hatred? Yeah, I think, I think, well, I think you just kind of called it out there, right? You can't channel, you can't, the world is an imperfect and sometimes not great place, right? So it's about like, what can you control and what can't you control? <laughs> and from your own perspective, the only thing you can really control are your own actions. You can't control your emotions. You are gonna be having a, a negative or positive emotional reaction to anything. You know, to use the word trigger, you get triggered by certain things you see. That's either going back to maybe some abuse that you've suffered in the past, or maybe you just don't like I don't know, some, whatever. I think it's just that ability to recognize that you cannot, you cannot control your emotions, but you can control how you react. You can control, um, here's an example. I used to, a long, long time ago, when I was just starting to, you know, in the, maybe my 20s, yeah, that was a long time ago. When I, was, when I was driving, I used to get constantly irritated when somebody would tailgate me. Now in Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. and Cam, Cam, where do you live, actually? I'm in the heart of the problem that is Dallas, Texas. So yeah, I'm, <laughs> I feel your pain. Uh, they just cut. I always let the suicide driver just drive in front of me. I just say, <laughs> you're, you're, you're not worth it. And like you say, you do have to teach yourself, hey, don't, don't get annoyed at an idiot. It's really, it's That's just right. so much energy spent on something that's not worth it. That's right. That's exactly well said. And I, I like Dallas, actually. But yeah, you really have so many freaking lanes. Well, I mean, I'm just saying, I'm not <laughs> saying it's a terrible state. I'm just saying. No, I know. Just, I know. Yeah, it's crazy, yeah. crazy, uh, crazy the amount of extremely wide highways you have there with many lanes. I'm not saying that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but in Pittsburgh, we have a lot of hills and windy roads. And so, and, and you know, one lane each way. And so I used to be and there wasn't the option of somebody passing me. So I'd always get irritated to your point when somebody tailgate me. But then I got to a certain point to your point about like, what's it going to change about getting upset, you know? And I also, yeah, exactly. And I got to another point where I said, I'm expecting somebody to do it. I'm expecting somebody to tailgate me just because that's how people are. I think just that acceptance of people being emotional, reactive beings, and it doesn't surprise me. So I think it's, and not that that's a negative look in the world. It's just saying that's how people are. You know, people are going to be emotionally responsive. So just acceptance of that. I think acceptance is the key word. I'm not uh, saying you should be. Door, I'm not saying you should be a doormat, right? I mean, I'm not saying that if I'm treated, you know, if I go to the movies or, or you know, a Steelers game or something, and somebody's sitting in my seats, I'm not going to be like, oh well, I'm going to go down and wait in the car. You know, I'm just saying. But I think it's the acceptance that okay, that's going to happen, and then I would, you know, it's 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 advocate. It's acceptance. Someone of the cut reality. in line. Someone took <laughs> right. my seat, even though I was here first. And right. like to say, it's yeah, yeah, it's. It's a it's a balance of self advocacy, but you know, but it also just acceptance, and it's just um, yeah. Anyway, it's it's a, it, life's all about balance, I suppose. Uh, it's definitely that's definitely the best contrast. Is like it's a balancing act. <laughs> so where do you go from here? That's right. So um, 
Uh, overall, uh, when when you're getting on these scenes, do you ever do just kind of just some light, dry, or off-color comedy to just kind of get everyone just kind of back up on their feet, just in the mood? Yeah, so it's interesting. I've actually had more conversations, not not comedy, but uh, I think just discussions about behavior. I mean, some people at this point actually are are familiar with me already, right? So they'll ask me questions about things uh, related to behavior. But, you know, one of my favorite conversations that I've had on set, uh, and it happens quite often, is when people actually um, apologize. Because there's, you know, a lot of times some people have a tendency to just over-apologize about things. So we kind of have a conversation about effective apologies. What does that mean? And there's actually six steps to an effective apology, uh, you know, and it's, it's more about, you know, I'm not going to go through all of them right now, but essentially what I'm saying is the only time you really would apologize is if you hurt somebody in some way. Otherwise, you know, you don't apologize for getting, you know, happen to take up the same space. You don't apologize for being human. Um, you, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's like, so it's just kind of a conversation about that. And I think that's probably been the most interesting conversations that have carried over, uh, since then, uh, where people say, oh, I'm doing a better job of not apologizing. So I think it's not about, I think getting people loosen up about talking about behavior. Very much so. It, uh, it's amazing how it seems like no one seems to realize there can be an in-between. Like uh, everyone thinks one is either discreet or just very blunt. And it's just like, sometimes it just depends on the person you're with. So then mm-hmm. you channel all these different personas. And so then, you know, Next thing you know, you channel one side of that that isn't welcome to that kind of person. And so next thing you know, you know, mm-hmm. you're, oh, that person's offensive. And it's like, well, I acted around you because I thought that's how you acted. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that's a great, great call out. You know, as, as human beings, we're also social beings. As much as, you know, especially if you're an introvert, one's an introvert, they, you know, don't necessarily, <laughs> maybe people don't want to be around human beings, but we still have a level of, you know, socialization. And so we are tuned into your point about what other people feel or think, you know, it's just how nature of what we are. And sometimes we make assumptions. So, you know, there's uh, something called cognitive distortions where it's kind of like the brains that we, the lies that we kind of tell ourselves, we make assumptions that if somebody looks like they're in a bad mood, that it's somehow they're mad at us. We make assumptions yes. about what people are feeling. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so yeah. you seem to connect to that, I guess. Right. What you're sometimes saying. they're just looking just in a general direction and somehow they think you're looking at them or whatever. <laughs> that's, that's right. Yeah, oh, it, it's, um, I believe it's called personalization, right? Where we seem to just take everybody, the negative things around us personally. And I have though, one guy who I don't work with anymore and he would do the exactly the same thing. And I just said, stay in your lane. They're not looking at you. Right. Why are you getting mad? Right, that's right. So I mean, even I could see that he's not meeting my gaze. Come on. <laughs> Well, that's right. And, and I think those are the things that prevent us. You know, those cognitive distortions are something that really kind of prevent us, I think, from being the best person we can be. You mentioned another one, right? This all or nothing thinking. You know, we have, you know, and again, I don't want to definitely don't want to get into politics, but um, <gasps> I, I know, right? <laughs> but depending, I mean, again, I don't want to make assumptions because some people don't like either of, you know, Trump or Biden, right? But you t- people tend to gravitate toward one or the other. So if you hate Biden, no matter what he does, it's like, oh, of course, look at him. He was, even if he does something positive, it's like, oh my God, like how horrible. Or if you hate Trump, no matter what he does, it's like, oh, I hate him. So it's what they call all or nothing thinking. If somebody you put, you know, 
a halo on, they can do no wrong, but somebody put those devil horns on, they can do no right. And But it really hurts people from being able to see the nuances and complexities of others. Yeah. Uh, well, and that's just it. And I, I mean, I even suggest a lot of just more independent kind of uh, political podcasts because they're going to actually just try and show how, okay, uh, kind of do what one of the fact check sites were kind of doing. It's like, this person has done this so far this year. So mm-hmm. uh, list off good things they've done. But yes, uh, because it's now catering to kind of a giant rivalry now, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like with what you guys face with indie film versus mainstream films. I, I see a bunch of other people who will throw out, oh, it's too mainstream. Oh, uh, that looks point. like it was shot on an iPhone. Oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, I don't think you guys are really waving that around. I would really strongly reword that. Yeah. No, that that's actually a great example, Cam. That's a great, great example. Perfect, right? It, that, that's actually, that's, I may have to start using that example. Yeah, I, I'll, I I'll credit you. you you've encountered a snob like that. At least one person I've oh, said. Sure. I've even encountered other snobs who were on my set. I'm like, you realize you're basically shitting on your own movie. Yeah, you're right. being sneaky, and I don't even know why you're here. You're being paid. I think you should shut up. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Exactly. Yeah, it's... um. And I think actually you've, you've said it a couple times already and I agree with it. It's just, it's, it, there's this toxicity I think out there that really makes just, it just permeates unfortunately. And it just takes away so much energy of creativity because people are focused on bad mouthing others. And it's just, it's, um, you don't know how much of it is jealousy versus that's just what they do to, yeah. that's their way of gaining power. And then like you say, and other times, uh, yeah, nothing personal. I, I think this movie is a dog shit. I'm like, okay, that's <laughs> right. so descriptive. <laughs> that's right well and, and here's the thing right that that you know i learned is that um this behavior is the same thing in, in healthcare as well like the same behaviors uh are occurring uh in the film industry as they occur in healthcare as it probably occur in any setting there's plenty just, of people who don't understand how to get the proper plan and all that that's right <laughs> that's right that's right that's right exactly so i don't know it's just I don't know. It's interesting to me. And it's, and I will tell you this, the other, the other learning I had is that, well, first of all, it's been extremely amazing to me just to see everything that happens to make, to create a production. It's just, it's just amazing, amazing to me. Um, but I will say it's a lot more complex and harder than it looks. And I'm not saying I went into it. It's like, Oh, I can act. Sure. It's just, wow. It's just the amount of work and energy that goes into these productions and what it takes to act as well. It's just, I just, I'm saying to anybody out there who's, Thinking about doing it, just um, just expect it to be a lot of hard work. Oh, totally. Yep. What projects are you most proud of that you definitely especially want to promote outside of your main podcast? Oh, uh, yeah, thanks. Uh, you know, I'm really uh, – one of my favorite films to work on uh, is Chris, was Christmas Slasher. It's supposed to come out in uh, 2023, uh, directed by Destiny Soria. And um, she – you know, put her heart into that film. And the reason why I really loved working on it is my character uh, was, I got a chance to ad lib a lot in that film. And I really uh, enjoyed working with uh, my kind of colleague in the film because we're kind of like buddies and uh, it was Landon Banks. And he and I just really developed these characters together and really played off each other. It was, that was probably the most free reign I was ever given, like for multiple scenes of just being able to interact uh, and there was a scene where I had lived uh, and she allowed me to like research the the Minnesota dialect and kind of use that because it's set partially in Minnesota. Well, actually, most of it's in Minnesota. And um, 
there was one part in it when I just interjected like this phrase and then I caught her like laughing at it, you know, and it was just like, wow, that felt really good that I'm giving, that I was able to ad lib, have fun doing it. And, um, and the director was pleased with it. So I think, it, so I'm really looking And she forward. wasn't being a snob or being unhelpful or doing That's right. Whole. That's right. It was, it was just, she's just, it was, yeah. So it was just a really, it was, it was probably one of my favorite experiences that I've had in, in doing this. Thousand percent from, you know, reading body language and getting a sense of people's personas. Yeah, I think it's just, you know, I think, again, I think it's, it's kind of goes back to what I mentioned earlier. I think in summer, I think it's really, and again, many of my guests on Brainborough have said it, just go out there and do it. Like, if there's something you're thinking about doing, just do it, you know, and don't be afraid to, to fail. I mean, you're going to fail. You're going to screw stuff up. Again, as I said, when I look at myself on some of these scenes, there's things that I'm very happy about, but there's other ones I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe that's out there. And I'm like, I, oh well, but you know, but then it's accepting <laughs> it and, and learning from it. I think just know that you're, you're, you're going to, you're going to fail. You're going to do things not perfect, but don't let that stop you from, from moving forward. Great way to end it on. Thank you ever so much for being on here. Yeah, Kim, it was to- totally uh, my pleasure. So thanks for the opportunity to chat. It was really great. thousand percent. I uh, want to share your Instagram handle. Oh yeah, it's at uh, Instagram is at uh, Valenti, my last name, V as in Victor, A-L-E-N-T-I, horror. Uh, that's at Valenti Horror on Instagram. Okay, excellent. Thank you ever so much for being here. Thank you, Cam. It was my pleasure. Follow us on the web on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The podcast is available on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Anchor, Apple, and anywhere else podcasts are available. Feel free to review our show and leave comments on any of those sites. Thanks a million for listening. It's a jacked up.